like, let's just assume that we're going to have disagreements, but let's come together over Jesus. I believe we can agree to disagree and love each other and fight for the gospel together on earth. I wish there was more of that in the church. The Profile with Premier Christianity magazine. Hi, and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Emma Fowle. The Profile is the show where we sit down with a well-known Christian to hear more about their life, their faith and their ministry. It's brought to you in association with Premier Christianity, the UK's leading Christian magazine. As a listener to The Profile, you can subscribe for half price. Just visit premierchristianity.com forward slash podcast. Today on the show, I am delighted to be joined by someone whose work I have been a fan of for many years. Jenny Allen is an author, a speaker and founder of the global women's discipleship ministry, If Gathering. Jenny's honest style of communication has made her a New York Times bestselling author and her blog posts, podcasts, talks and Bible studies are beloved around the world. In our conversation today, she is as open and amiable as ever, getting stuck into all the tough stuff, including the pitfalls of platform, how she deals with speaking around the world but not being able to preach on a Sunday morning in her own church, and the importance of investing in the next generation. We also chat about her own personal journey towards writing her latest book, Untangle Your Emotions, which is out now. Maybe we can just start off, Jenny, about talking a little bit about your upbringing, I know you were raised in a Christian home, but was there a moment for you where you kind of found faith for yourself? Yes. So I grew up in a Christian home. My parents loved Jesus and we, we grew up going to church and I would say that's just the world I knew. I didn't, I don't think I appreciated it. It didn't mean a lot to me. I don't remember thinking to myself, wow, I really need God. I just was absorbed in the Christian culture and and I appreciated it. It's all I knew. And and I was about 17 years old and I was at a summer camp and there was a depiction of Jesus dying on the cross. And it hit me like a ton of bricks for the very first time that I personally needed God. And I really believe even though I'd prayed kind of a sinner's prayer to get me out of hell, like when I was in first grade, I I, I didn't experience any transformation or personal relationship with God until that point. And I just loved him and I was so grateful and I was truly undone by the grace and mercy of God and what he had done for me. And I just remember I came back home, you know, I was a junior in high school at the time and I came back home and I mean, I just started telling all my friends about God and how could they not love God and they need to love God. Like he's so good. And I just was overwhelmed with how much I love him. And I was annoying the heck out of everybody. And so I picked up on that and gathered some younger girls. I don't think I had a model for this, but I, you know, there are a lot of uh, prolific Bible teachers that would come in the future. Beth Moore wasn't on the scene yet, but I didn't know women could teach their Bible. I just knew I had to talk about God. And I gathered a bunch of girls two years younger than me in a little room and started teaching him the book of revelation, which I don't recommend ever doing. <clears throat> I've now I've been to seminary and I wouldn't touch it. Um, so <laughs> I think that was pretty bold and ballsy, but I, yeah, I, I did. I taught him the book of revelation and I, it was just what I had to do. I had to talk about God. And, and so looking back, my calling, my gifts, my walk with the Lord really all collided at the exact same moment. And yeah, that was when my life changed. Wow, that that is that is a bold move. Revelation is is not yeah. the easiest book to unpick. You thought right. you just <laughs> yeah. I thought it was in- I thought it was interesting. You know, I just I I thought it would be easy. It, uh, who knows what I said back then? <laughs> but that's, that's <laughs> sure, if it were recorded, I would be called a heretic, and I'm sure I was. <laughs> but it's interesting that for you, obviously, you know, straight from the off, you had an encounter with God, even though you you'd known about God for a long time. When you had that that first real encounter with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit, and you made your commitment that God had placed certain calls on your life, that you had a, a gift and a calling into leadership, into gathering people together, into into teaching the Bible. Um, so what what happened next? How did the, the journey into Bible college go? Well, you know, I I actually went to University of Arkansas, so I was far from it at a Bible college. I was very, but I did end up in a seminary. You're right. Um, 
I, it would be years though, before that would come. I, after that, I remember the first time somebody said, you have a gift of teaching. Um, it wasn't long after that. It was when I was in high school and I just, I tucked it away. I didn't totally know what it meant, but in my mind, I went to college and I was discipled by uh, a college ministry there that just taught me how to read my Bible. They taught me how to um, share my faith, how to walk with Jesus in a way that was real and regular and every day. And for the rest of my life, and I'm sure into eternity, I will forever be grateful for Michelle Bost, who gave me hours and hours and hours of her life with young kids. And she just invested in me. And and so that was the beginning of me understanding truly what it meant to walk with God and, and to do that in a in a disciplined way. And then after that, you know, and all through college, I always led a group of girls. I just, that was because that idea of discipleship was so drilled into my brain. I just, that was going to be my life. And I, and it was my life every single semester, I would start with a different group and, or maybe it would be the same group, but I would just take girls through parts of the scripture and teach them. And eventually um, that, you know, became more, more obviously, but I would say what I felt when I went to seminary, which would have been after two kids had been born and the third was on the way by the time I graduated, I was, I just knew I'd be teaching my Bible. And I knew, I thought it'd be in my living room. I didn't have a context for all the things I would be doing today, but I wouldn't have even imagined them. But I do think I knew I had to be teaching my Bible. And so going to seminary was so wonderful. It was more of a dream for me than it was, um, some kind of training for something. I just, I just wanted to understand God as much as is possible to do so. And so it was really exciting to spend those years. And then years, even after that, I, again, I just kept teaching my Bible. I had a Bible study of about, oh, I'd say typically around seven or eight people in my living room, super small. I had personal invite only. I just invited people in, but those, that was 15 years of doing that before I was convicted. And there was a night where I just, I, I surrendered to the Lord in a different way. It was um, a moment where I was reading the blog of a girl named Katie Davis and she was living in Uganda and she was younger than me. And she had, you know, adopted girls um, off the streets of Uganda and really given up a lot of her life in the U S to do that. And it just convicted me of what are the things I'm living for in this life and what, what do I think matters? And I think at that point in my life still, in my early thirties, I just was still believing that the people around me, their opinions mattered and it limited, I believe the gifts that God had put in me and it really limited my ability to obey him and to risk. And, and so I remember just really vividly one night, just being on my bathroom floor and just saying, Lord, I'm in like anything that you want for me, I'm in. And it's pretty wild. Like the day after that, I mean, it was a it was a, I would say, as transformative personally for me as the moment that I received Christ, where I, it was just an abrupt, wow, I, I began to experience God in a deeper way where I, I heard from him more. I knew um, what to do. My husband was praying the same thing. And so we just would pray, God, what do you want us to do? We'll do anything. And we just kept praying that. And sure enough, it's amazing when you pray that all the things that began to change, we, we did you know, a, there was a lot of risk ahead for us. And I, you know, one of the things was just that I needed to quit limiting my Bible studies and I needed to just open it up and it was pretty wild. So I did that. I just, we hosted it in our little cafeteria at our church and our church was only about, I don't know, at the time, 150 people. We had started a church together, my husband and I, and um, the Bible study was like 200 women and in this little cafeteria and I'd written the curriculum. It was, it was stuck. Um, what became stuck and later, and it was my first published thing. And the, the way I got into publishing was that all these churches were asking for copies and it cost more to print than we could pay, ask them to pay. And so we were shipping these studies everywhere. So um, that's kind of how publishing found me was I, my husband's like, we can't do this anymore. You need to find out if there's a better way. And so um, that that kind of opened the door to publishing. 
think sometimes there is, you know, I've heard Christine Kane talk about this as well. It, there's there's this propensity in there, isn't it, for people to maybe look you up on Instagram now and and be like, oh, Jenny's got, yeah. you know, half a million followers or whatever, you know, and all of the the books that you've published and the if gathering and you have this this huge. <laughs> um platform now and we forget that that behind it goes decades of faithful service and yeah. growing in character and confidence and walking with Jesus and learning our Bible and all of those kind of things do you think there's a danger especially sort of in today's society where it is so easy to build a platform online that we're kind of sort of circumventing some of that process that really you know we need in order to grow in character you know what I just I got tears in my eyes as you asked that question because I know so many people that I walk with regularly that are in their twenties that are carrying the burden of a platform in their twenties. Well, I don't know if it's right or wrong. It's what it is, right? I know they would say it's heavy and they wrestle with it every day. And I don't think they should walk away from it. Although some of them have. Um, and maybe that is, you know, again, if it's stealing all your joy in life, like there's nothing more important than just your personal walk with God and the personal people that know you and how you're investing in them. That is, that is the way Jesus did it. Like there were times he spoke to the crowds, you know, there were times, but most of his time was spent with a few men. And so, and women, so we've got to come back to the way of Jesus, which is less and deeper. We just can't lose that way. And, and I would say, rather than say whether it's dangerous or not, it is of course dangerous, but it is what it is. We're not going <laughs> to not going to change that. So what I would say is the priority for each individual and conviction for each individual still has to be my personal life needs to be right with God. And then the overflow of that personal life. And that's still true for me, right? I, I could easily fall into living for Instagram or living for my PR or living for, I could easily fall into that same thing. We're always going to be tempted by the external praise and the external success and power, right? That's always, uh, that's always going to be a seduction for all humans, whatever age you are. However, I think why I got teary was because I actually know some of these young people. And I think there is a loss for them, even just that they got, that they had to miss that important season of being invisible and growing up privately and having a life, you know, before it was given away on a platform. I think that, I mean, I think that's why I teared up, not out of fear or I'm not someone who's like, man, we need to change the whole culture and the way it's done. I, I just, I'm like, no individuals following Jesus with the Holy spirit and the word of God, it's how the world changes. So, so that's what I focus on. And I would say all of us have to be aware of that, whatever age we are. It, I, I don't think, you know, again, I go back to that verse that says, um, he's not going to tempt us beyond what we can handle. So if if someone has that, um, there may be a reason they need to give it up, but there also may be a way to be transformed and sanctified in the midst of it. And we don't, we so quickly demonize things rather than saying what does submission and obedience and holiness look like for that individual in their sphere, whatever it is. Because whether you're in front of a million or you're in front of 10 people like I was at my local church being a pastor's wife, I had to deal with the opinions of people. It was going to happen, whether it happens in front of a lot of people or it happens in my local church. Like we're all going to have to go to war with the same demons. And so I'm more of the mindset of opportunity, all of us seizing whatever God's given us, all things for the glory of God, all things. And whether that means you are a stay-at-home mom and your influence is your neighbors and the soccer moms at your school. That is urgent and important, and God has set you there in that place for them. Or whether your sphere is enormous and you've got to shepherd that, it's really probably you're fighting the same demons and you're doing the same work. I don't see myself doing today that much different than I did in my living room for 15 years. I'm doing the same thing. It's just I have a publisher now and those products go further. But ultimately, what's happening in my living room is still my priority. It's still the thing I live for. And if that's going well, then the things I put into the world, hopefully will be helpful and useful because they're born out of a place of real life with real people doing real things. 
And you talked about um, having to sort of open yourself up to taking more risk and, you know, knowing that God was calling you into something and, and trying to have to let go of some of those fears of, of wanting to please people. Um, what was that like for you? And you, you, you said that you were leading a church with your husband at the time. So I'm assuming you didn't have some of those barriers where you, you weren't in a denomination that didn't believe in women being in leadership and, and that kind of thing. But that is, you know, still part of church culture in some places. Have you ever come against that? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, every every woman would say that was the case in ministry, I think, um, to some degree. But I think it's less and less. And I, I do feel I've, I've had it so good. I've had I've been a part of churches. I'm, I'm in a more conservative side of the church, I would say, on this front. But I, even in that, I have had pastors and elders that have just championed my gifts. Last night I spoke at a young adult ministry at our church. Um, and it's so great. One of the elders listened and texted me everything he learned in his convictions and from listening to me. And again, our church doesn't have women on Sunday mornings, but, but they do in lots of other venues and, and specifically last night was one of those. And, and so I just, I'm someone who goes, you know what? I have enough on my plate rather than to go fight cultural battles of what women can do and can't do. I'm like, you know what, whatever God has placed me, wherever he's placed me, I'm going to maximize that and use my gifts to the fullest. And I am grateful. I have a husband who probably is more for me and champions me more than I do for myself. Like he wants me to obey God and do all I can for the kingdom. I have elders that are the same way. And so I actually live under submission to that. Um, I don't think of it in a negative way. I think of it as a gift that I'm kind of looking at them going, do you feel good about that? And if they do, I go. Now, I know and have spent much time with people in a whole other situation that it has been abusive and changed their personalities where they don't feel like they they are worthy of using their gifts or that's just not okay. I mean, God help those leaders that have have not seen the women in their churches as equals and co-heirs and co-laborers. Like that's how it's been for me. And again, there still are some things that my elders are kind of like, you know, Sunday morning, I don't know. Um, and, and that's great. Like, I'm like, okay, I get it. I've read the verses. Like it is a little bit like, eh, I don't know, but I also, it's a great area and everybody is acting like it's black or white. And I'm like, yo, read the verses. This is a little confusing. Like, let's be fair. Um, so I kind of just have grace for all of that. I'm like, you know, if you're in an environment that is not healthy and you don't agree with the elders, go to a different church. That's my view, but find a place where you can, where you can serve and use your gifts and thrive and also submit to that leadership because that is a clear model in scripture is that we are to be um, under the leadership of elders. And so that's how I've worked through it. Has it ever caused you any conflict over the years as you've studied your Bible and sort of grown into your gifting oh. and asked to do things? Oh, if I were reading that today, we'd, we'd have conflict. I don't see a way around conflict around some of these parts and, and verses. It, I mean, I'm not going to get into all this, but but I'm just saying I I have internal conflict as a woman about all of it. And that's why I love the idea of submission. I know somebody is listening to this and going, she's crazy. But if you know my life or have seen the fruit of my life, like I'm not a limited person. Like I'm I am reaching the world. I am influencing men and women. I'm not in a pent in, but I would say part of God's protection over my life has been this idea of submission that I have trusted the people around me to also, you know, at the end of the day, when something's confusing, you, you got to go with where has God put you and what, again, assuming it's healthy and biblical and not controlling. And I'm not, I'm not talking about that kind of submission. Okay. That is not what I'm experiencing. But if you're in a place where you um, trust those elders, I've just, I just run things by them. And I'm like, what do you think in this situation? And, and I really just, I, I, I submit to what, they say. And if that got massively unhealthy, my husband and I would have to pray about where we would go, but that has gone well for us. And so I think that's one reason God set up models like that so that you would figure out these things in community and local churches with people, you know, not on the internet with all different types of denominations. I just think it's crazy. I'm like, y'all are all coming from whole different countries, whole different backgrounds, whole different socioeconomic groups and whole different everything, theological views. And you think that there's just, these verses are, should be clear to everybody. I'm going, 
you know, over decades and decades and decades, some of these things have not been completely sorted out. So I just have grace for doing every every local church together, working out the best way to interpret those verses. If somebody says those verses are easy to interpret, I, I don't trust them because there is a tension because you see verses on on prophetesses, you see, you see women using their gifts throughout in a call universally to the church to go and to make disciples without a lot of other disclaimers. So, so yeah, we're going to have to navigate this clearly and well. And I think everybody's probably going to land in a little bit different space on that. Like, let's just assume that we're going to have disagreements, but let's come together over Jesus. I am such a communal person. I believe we can agree to disagree and love each other and fight for the gospel together on earth. I wish there was more of that in the church. I think that is where we are missing it as a generation is we are so hyper-focused on the things we disagree on rather than hyper-focused on what we do agree on, on the mission that God has given us and, and the unity that we can have through Jesus. Do you think there's anything that we have to uh, disagree on? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, and that's why I love the creeds. I, I am a big fan of the Nicene Creed. I'm like, these are the, the fundamentals of Christian faith. And then certainly there are some really big issues. And I'm I'm not saying we don't talk about them, but the way we do that should be with more generous love with each other. Yeah, I, I just think that's where we get ourselves in trouble. I think there's a lot of fear. And when social issues come up, and I think we as believers should be leading the way in constructive conversation about these things and helpful conversation. And there are certainly, I have heroes um, that do that really beautifully and well, and I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. And I mean, I know you have a massive heart for the next generation and and you've been at Albury and at Asprey and, and uh, watching, you know, the outpourings of God's Holy Spirit on, on Gen Z. And I do, I do wonder like, you know, with the, with young people, especially those that are on the outskirts of churches or are struggling with the idea of church when they're watching us older guys, you know, arguing over things that what an example that is to them. It must, it must be so, so, so off-putting to see the church chair. Yeah. And I think, I think they, they're pretty, it's fun to be around them because they're pretty single-minded and hearted and they just, they're like, what, what do I need to do to follow Jesus? Okay. <laughs> it's, it's so beautiful. I think that we, we're coming out of a season of deconstruction where the church has been deconstructing everything. And I think they're sitting there going, oh, okay, well, I, I just met Jesus and I love him and I'm coming out of a lot of darkness and I just want to know, like, how do I follow him? Oh, okay, well, I, I want to go into ministry. I want to give my life away. Like, there's, it's, uh, it's so quickly surrender. They so quickly want whatever God wants for them. They are zealots. It's really beautiful. They either are zealots for the world or they are zealots for Jesus. And I think that is, that's why I think I click with them so well is I get that. I fundamentally, I'm like, yes, that's how it should be. Like either we're in or out, you know? And, and I think the, the heady deconstruction that's been going on for the last, you know, 10 years, it was important and, and God's used it, I think, to purify the church in a lot of ways um, for this generation, at least they are, they just want God. It's really beautiful. Let's talk a little bit about your journey into writing. I, I spent um, a large portion of my 30s when I was raising my young family, reading you on the internet, oh. talking about raising your kids and, and other writers like you, like Anne Voskamp and Lisa Tearkirst. And, and that, that sort of, that burgeoning generation of um, voices seemed to sort of come from nowhere for me over here in the UK anyway. And it, it was such a blessing to me to be able to to read about other Christian women raising their kids, walking with Jesus, talking about the gifts, you know, working life out um, and, and working their faith out alongside it. How did that come about for you? What, what, when, when did you first start blogging and why? Yeah. I mean, Emma, that's so meaningful to me because, you know, you're in the UK and I'm in the US and to think we were raising our kids together, that just, I think that's one of my favorite things about what I do is it just is instant friendship wherever I go in the world. Cause I'm like, Oh, we would have loved each other. If we were down the street from each other, we would have been doing that in real life. Um, so that means a lot to me. I would say, you know, for me, I remember, I mean, again, it all started with my Bible teaching in my living room. And so when I, when my Bible studies were appealing to a publisher and and all of a sudden I had that opportunity. They said, well, could you write books too? And I was like, well, I took a lot of creative writing in high school and college, maybe. But I said, I don't know. And and so I remember my first book, I uh, I sent the first few chapters. It was anything. I just felt like I was writing a journal entry, which you probably felt reading too. And I, I sent it in. And I was like, is this a book? And she was like, just keep going. And so 
I mean, that was how I fell into it. I didn't know if I could do it. I, I'd never written past a 20 page paper in seminary. So I remember when I got to that page number that the most I'd ever written, I was like, oh, okay, I, I guess I can do this. And so um, it, I really, truly fell into it. And it's so funny this week, uh, my son is in high school and he's learning to write and we sat down, I mean, his old school, they didn't do very much writing. And so in this high school, they have a lot of writing. And so he's coming into his own with that. And we were meeting with his teachers and they said, you know, he just writes like he talks and any, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't always go well. And inside I'm thinking I've built a whole career on writing. Like I talk like that's exactly my style. Cause that's how, you know, my first editor was like, just keep going. And so, and anybody that reads me would say, it's like, I'm just having coffee with you. It's like, you're just sitting across from me and like sharing your heart. So I kind of wanted to push back on his teachers a little and go, you know, it works for some people, but anyway, I, I would say, you know, that's been my journey. And it really, to me, I don't see myself as a writer. I see myself as a person who wants to give away God, period, end of story. I'll use any means possible. I'll use a book. I'll use a podcast. I'll use a talk. I'll use conversation over dinner. I'll use whatever I've got. So I don't see myself as a podcaster. I don't see myself as a um, leader. I don't see myself as a visionary. I see myself as a minister of the gospel. And that's going to take on whatever form is in front of me. And that way, you know, what's fun about that is if I lose everything tomorrow, the internet decides to cancel me or I'm fine because I can still do that without a career. I can do that just right in my neighborhood. I can do that wherever I am. And so that's been super centering for me and kept my, I think my feet on the ground just, and the reason I do what I do is I so believe in small groups of people. Like I believe in you, Emma, in your neighborhood with your people making disciples. And I want to give tools to people to do that. And so it really is not any different than what I was doing back in the day. I'm not trying to be a New York Times bestselling author. I'm trying to be faithful to build tools that help people know God and help bring people together to grow and, and to discipleship. So that's been fun. And I'm really glad I get to do it in the way I get to do it. And I feel really privileged, but I, nothing's changed. And it won't change when I am just back in my living room again, because nobody will buy my books and I'll be fine. Start the year enriched and enlightened with thought-provoking Christian content from Premier Christianity magazine. As a special New Year offer, enjoy a year's subscription for just £24. Subscribe today at premierchristianity.com. That like pressure to you, you know, whether it's a uh, blog or sharing your life so openly or being on Instagram all the time, does, sure. does it ever get to you? Or Certainly. And that, I would say that's the war of it is fighting to keep clear what I am doing and what matters. Um, every time I have to launch something into the world, there's former numbers of what they've sold and how it's done. And I've sold a whole lot of books. So there's a pressure to, to keep that up. But I also, if I live with that, it would change everything. I try, yes, it creeps up. And when it does, I talk about it quickly. I say it out loud to the people that know me. And then sometimes I'll have a good cry about it. And then I'll just remember, okay, this is what I'm doing. Because the times it's blown up, like get out of your head was just, it still is like a ridiculous book sales book. Well, I couldn't have planned that. I mean, it came out a month before COVID. God did that. It's just not up to me. I, I feel like what I've learned is I just keep my head down and I stick to what he's put in front of me. And if it's not in front of me, if I'm not supposed to be doing it, I need to look at what he's called me to do and do what's in front of me. And maybe it's not as flashy as it was two years ago, but it matters and it's helping people and it's what he's told me to do. And so it's just always like, it's just like everyone and everything. I can look up and around or I can keep my head down and, and fixed on Jesus. My life verses are Hebrews 12, run the race, fix your eyes on Jesus, throw off the sin and the way that so easily entangles you. And that idea of like keeping my eyes straight ahead, that has been life saving, soul saving. I also pay for a therapist <laughs> and that is unbelievable because a lot of the reasons that we need to achieve or we need to be somebody or we need things to matter or we have to measure up 
a lot of those reasons come from our childhood. They come from a moment when we were 12. They come from a moment where we learned a thinking pattern and a way of life that we have to unlearn. And so I've been in the business of unlearning a lot of things for the last few decades and and I feel healthy and I feel, I'm not saying I never, ever struggle with it. I probably have even this week at some point. Like last night, I, I gave a talk. I thought it was probably a C plus and I needed it to be like an A or B really candidly. I would have been really, really pleased in that moment. Not all talks need to be an A plus or a B plus, but this one did. And it was the first time I was talking about my new book and I was just so excited about it. We went to dinner afterwards and we were like, yeah, that wasn't the best, but it's fine. Like I, then my daughter and son-in-law that were there and heard it came and they're like, mom, next time you give it, you need to do this, this, and this. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And she goes, I love how you're not worried about it. And I was like, I'm really fine because now today my identity is not in my performance like it used to be. And I can go to dinner right after I was in front of thousands of people and did a C plus thing and go, you know, God still used it. We got stories of a girl got baptized after my talk last night. There was a guy that walked up to my son-in-law weeping and was like, that just changed my life. And I was like, God can still do it with a C plus, you know? And I just, I kind of want to just get like a sweatshirt or a hat that says like average and just announce it, you know, like I, that's really pretty true, like pretty average, but I work with God and God shows up and God does amazing things. And if I just let him and I rest in my humanity and my weakness and know that sometimes I'm going to be an A and it's going to feel so good. But if I were always an A, that just, I would get a big head. I would. I mean, some people get to be an A every time. Good for them. I just, if I were an A every time. I would put awesome on my sweatshirt and I would walk around really proud. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? If your job is communicating in some way, then obviously at some point along the line, someone's probably told you you're pretty decent at communicating. And that's great. Like, you know, I'm the same. I like write for a living. I preach in my local church. You do your best to prepare when you have to speak. You want to do a good job. But where's the line between, you know, yeah, holding those things humbly and saying, well, even if this is not the best this week. God can still use it. I'm, I'm wanting it to be the best, but not relying on your own talents and your own gift. Plan. Like I used to probably be like, God, why did you let that not go well? Like it was his fault. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I think he's so kind to just kind of let us be human and then show us that he can work anyway. And I just think that's such a more fun way to live. And I think it's more life-giving. It was cute because my husband was like, you know, that wasn't your best but it wasn't hard for you. Like you weren't up there struggling or anything. And I was like, yeah, because even as I was talking, I was like, this isn't my best, but I'm not going to try to rescue this. Like, I'm just going to deliver what I know I'm supposed to say. And used to, I think I would have stri- I, I would have started striving and like trying to fix it in the fly. And I don't know. I think, I think it's great growing older because you just, you just don't care as much. It's a nice thing for other people to hear and, and to see as well sometimes, isn't it? Like, you know. I hope like, so. I hope people feel freedom because I think exactly. it, I think the perfect people drive me nuts. I'm like, yeah. I don't even like them. No. I don't. <laughs> no one I never want to be that. <laughs> Which of these topics has not been covered on PremierChristianity.com? UFOs, near-death experiences, Doctor Who, Christ's Return, The Faith of Celebrities, and Andrew Tate. Trick question. We don't shy away from any topic. We cover faith as it affects us in daily life and give you the bigger picture. PremierChristianity.com. Special podcast subscription offer at PremierChristianity.com slash podcast. And you talk about therapy quite openly, which is you've just brought it up um, just then, and I was going to ask you about it earlier. You wrote something on your Instagram earlier on. I think it was probably almost a year ago and you said um that you hadn't loved reading the bible this last few years and it brought you so much grief that you'd gone to counseling over it and I just thought wow yep. what a thing for a Christian author to say like what what yeah. was going on what was that all about that that you're asking me you're such a good interviewer you know back to that pressure thing I think what I had done was I had associated my walk with God with work because it is very closely connected for someone like me and so those things had gotten a little entwined. And then I had told myself, like, I should be doing these things. And if I'm not doing these things, then I shouldn't even be doing my job. It, it had just, th- that's the kind of pressure I feel more so than like needing to measure up people. It, there's more of a pressure of like, am I pleasing God? And am I doing this right? I think that's my core lie and and the thing I always have to work on. And I remember my counselor saying to me, I want you to start noticing how many times your little brain says, I should, like, I should be doing this. 
Oh, I mean, that was my brain all the time. And I think what he was trying to do was to turn that part of myself off and, and to go, you know, I think maybe this isn't so much about, again, even your walk with God being a performance. You know, I think we, just like we would in front of people, we would need to perform and achieve and make it. Sometimes we do that with God. And I think that had been the way it had been for a while. So I think turning that button off and going, you know, I'm going to not say that anymore. And instead, I'm going to say, I really enjoy God and I want to be with him. What does that look like today? What is life-giving today? And I learned all kinds of ways to connect with God. I, I found the best apps, Pray As You Go is a great one. Um, I found beautiful devotionals. I, I I really just branched out from the way maybe you think of as a simple quiet time and just would go on walks and listen to sermons. And I just instead of thinking I should do this this way, I just started every day going, I really want to connect with God. And and how do I want to do that today? And sometimes it was just worship. And sometimes it was honestly, I know people are going to think I'm crazy, but, or maybe judge it. But some days I watched the chosen as like, before I would get out of bed, like I would just watch that and cry in my bed and worship God through that precious show that I love so much. And I, I loosened up a little and I just found my way back to just a relationship with him. And it was really good and really healing. I read my Bible. I love reading my Bible, but I needed a season where I didn't feel like I had to or should. And that was pretty freeing for me. So you've got a new book coming out um, called Untangle Your Emotions. Tell us what this new book is about and where the, the prompting came from for it. Get Out of Your Head came out and it was revolutionary to me. And if you've read the book, you know that it was a really personal journey for me, that I had come to a place where I didn't realize how much control I had over my thought life. And I really let the enemy attack me in some pretty big ways. And so fighting back and taking that spiritual authority and that ground in my mind, both from a scientific perspective and a biblical perspective was transformative. And then, you know, that really fit in the way that I think and the way that I live and the way that I teach as far as empowering. I, th- I would call myself um, inspirational kick in the pants. That's probably like the way I I lead and I think, and it's the way I probably a parent. It's the way I do everything. Well, then I enter a season of therapy and like a small group where we really were trying to do life differently. And instead of trying to fix things and will them into being, they really had a priority and specifically Dr. Kurt Thompson, who was leading us, had a goal of helping us to feel things rather than fix things. Well, that was very uncomfortable for me. (laughs) Very. And I really didn't see the purpose, candidly. And it was much better just to change your mindset and be grateful. But the problem is those little things that happened to us when we were 12 and 7 and 13, they're still with us. And they're still right there, right under the surface. And they're affecting everything. And so if we just say, no, I'm going to be grateful instead of angry. Those things don't go away. Now you can change that internal thought. You can you can shift that one thing and that thought. But when that comes up again tomorrow and again the next day and again the next day, you're really playing whack-a-mole with your thought life rather than healing from the inside out. And so this two years was after Get Out of Your Head was truly more of an internal healing for me of going back to the things that had undone me as a child that were still with me and that were still undoing me. And there were times I remember there were moments where I would feel like I was acting inside internally. I was wise enough and mature enough not to act often externally like this, but internally I would be spinning like I was in middle school. Like I would be scared and overwhelmed and spinning inside like I was in middle school. And what's so cool is as I've gone back and began to not be afraid of those feelings and to notice them and to use them um, and explore them the way that God meant for emotions to be, it has changed me from the inside out. And so this process and journey for me has been uncomfortable. It isn't in my sweet spot, but it is life-changing and game-changing. And as I have taught this content and began to like leak it and a few people have read it, they will say like, it is completely shifted the way they view emotions. I think a lot of counselors have written books about emotions and they're so helpful. I read a lot of them. I think a lot of um, smart people have 
psychiatrists, people like that have broken down our emotions, but the theologians, there wasn't much out there. And so it was really fun to read all the science and try to read the theology. There wasn't much. And, but to study my Bible and to see how emotional God is, God, the father, God, the son, God, the spirit, emotional, all of them. I mean, innumerable, really, like how many times they express emotion and feel emotion and compassion and anger and sadness and even fear. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the word agonia is the Greek, and it actually is broken down to anxiety or fear. So so this, like all the emotions God feels, so they aren't sin. They aren't bad. They can't be bad. They have to be good because God feels them. And God gifted them to us made in his image to be emotional people. So it was just a, it was mind blowing. And so the, the theme of the book is that, you know, we, we are meant to feel our feelings. And, and so I'm so practical. I had to build a process of how to feel our feelings. I know that sounds crazy. Like anyone that's a big feeler is like, I really don't need a process. I feel them just fine. But you do because the big feelers will feel them. And then who knows what with them, right? Like they'll cause all kinds of trouble with them. We all know emotions can cause trouble, but it's the trouble that they cause. It's not bad in themselves, right? And then we know the people that don't feel their emotions, they're causing trouble too, because they're suppressing it. And I promise you, your kids and your kids' kids would appreciate it if you would work it out. So I think this is, you know, for both sides of of the the spectrum and to learn like here's what God meant for them, here's what we do with them, here's a healthy way to live and interact with our emotions. And I think it's I think it's really helpful for people. Yeah, and it's interesting because it isn't something that uh, comes up a lot in our church spaces, is it? We talk about the spiritual and and, and we kind of, you know, we, we're not very good at, at gluing mind, body, soul and spirit all together within our theology, are we? Well, it's funny. I called my seminary professor because I was doing my work and I was like, I'm not finding a lot. I don't find a lot of theologians writing about this. And so I called him. He was like, let me look. And so he found three books, three. And he sends them to me. He's like, Jenny, um, I think all the thinkers never thought about their feelings. So I think you're right. I don't think the church has done a great job really giving us a theology of our emotions. And that's that's where I start is just, here's the theology of emotions. And then, and people, I mean, my sweet agent, you know, was one of the first people to read it. And he he called me and he was like, Jenny, I didn't know any of this, you know, and he he's grown up in the church. And so I get excited that people are going to feel like this is provocative, but it's just the Bible and it's just God. And it's things you've seen over and over again. But nobody's ever explained it like that. And I think the church has so reacted to the world who is saying, follow your heart and feelings are everything. Whatever you feel, you need to follow it. So the church is like, no, feelings are bad. Feelings are dangerous. Feelings are not reliable. I get it. I understand. They're reacting to that. But that's not true. And that's not a good theology either. Like you can't say feelings are bad when God feels all of them. So so it's almost like, let me, let's step back from both of those lies and say, what does God say? And it's so refreshing and beautiful because you look at scripture, it says mourn with those who mourn. I mean, just think of how this changes marriage, parent, parenting, everything. It changes everything when you when you view this rightly, because you read mourn with those who mourn. Then you look at Jesus weeping with Mary and Lazarus' death. Well, it says verses up that he you know, he had already said he was going to heal Lazarus. So why did he stop? Why didn't he just go straight to the tomb and like bring him back from the dead and help everybody not be mad and crying? Because he saw the value of crying with Mary. There was a, there was a gift in feeling pain together. And so it's so fun because now you look at the science. Well, the reason therapy works is because you're going back to a moment and now you're not alone in that moment, even with a stranger. Like there's another person with you in that moment that was so painful and traumatic to you. And then you're, as your brain is not alone in that moment, your neuropathways begin to heal. That's how neuropathways heal from trauma. That's why I love doing the science with the Bible. Cause I'm like, oh my gosh, it all mourn with those who mourn. That's why he said it. It doesn't make sense. If you're a husband with a wife who's crying, you don't see a lot of sense in sitting there and crying with her. What good does that do? Except that you didn't know that your brain is healing her brain as you sit with her in her pain, because it's the way God made us. And it's interesting because it, it looks, you know, reading through the, the books you've released over the last 10 years, that there's been that clear trajectory towards some of this more sort of psychological neurosciencey stuff for you. So it's obviously that's a personal journey that you've been going on and the stuff is, again, you just perhaps sharing your life and the stuff that you've been going through and processing. 
Yeah. And I'd say, I just love it all. Like if I look back at myself as a kid, like I was so curious about everything. It wasn't just God, it was life and the way the world works and history and science and all of it. And so I think this is just like the fullest expression of my brain right now. I'm just having so much fun because I actually wanted to go back and get a doctorate. I've got my master's in biblical studies and I wanted to go back and get a doctorate in like humanities and sociology because I, I, I'm someone who believes like Paul, ultimately I'm trying to take God to humans, like by all means possible, Paul says, whatever means you have to do to get God to people, do it. And that's so, I get that. And I'm like, I want to understand people because part of the equation is understanding God. And this is where I think a lot of leaders get it wrong is they're like God theology and they're like pounding it on everybody and it never really connects. I'm like, no, 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 understand people so that they receive what you're saying. Like, it doesn't matter what is true. If so, if you don't love someone or connect with someone in such a way that they need to hear it and want to hear it. And so I love understanding people as much in the human brain and the way they work and the history of the way we work as much as I do the Bible, because I go, that's how we're going to get God to people if we understand people. And so I think that side of the work is, is so important and fun for me because it always clicks. Like it doesn't always click quickly. Sometimes it feels like it might be in um, conflict, but then the more I do the work, I go, oh gosh, this is exactly what the Bible's saying. And of course it is because God built our brains, right? So of course he knows that the way it heals and the way it is by being together because it is not good for man to be alone. And he said it from the very beginning. So he just, I just like him so much because I think he, he tried, you know, before neuroscience time, when the Bible was written through these authors, he tried to like say what would be true, what we would know one day. And it's just so fun that now we're sitting in that part of history where we can see that it's literally how he built us. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? When you can see, like, yeah, all this, all this medicine, the science, and stuff going on, and you're like, oh no, but God said this like, a long time ago. Yeah. This is where yeah. it comes from. Yeah, it's not that even new; sense. it's so old. Yeah, and people are so yeah. astounded. I think there's still that that very common misconception, isn't it, that sort of faith and science are on these polar extremes, and, and never the twain can meet. And you're like, no, no, this is, you know, everything that we need is here. As we wrap up, like, just um, would you just tell us a little bit as well about the if gathering and where that came from, and and how you got into that um, leading a massive sort of international gathering now of women from across the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fun. I mean, we, we've reached 179 countries. We have if local leaders that are hosting the event all over the world, we have thousands and thousands of events every year that are happening simultaneously with ours. It's really fun. So all of you UK people, if you have not heard of it, it is for you too. And and it's fun. We're actually going to announce this year kind of the future of where we're headed. And and it really is more global and connected to the whole wide world. And so it's fun. It's it, it makes the world small. And we gather live in Dallas this year um, in mid-February. And we live stream it out to thousands of locations or just to your home if you want to watch and just be a part. And it's fantastic teaching and worship and just to feel a part of a bigger body is really, really special and fun. And, and I think people just are, are so wonderful because they really take this as a tool and they use it in their churches and on their college campuses and they bring their people together around it. And I think that's my favorite part about it is it's just a lot of people that want God together through all across all denominations and cultures and countries. And it's just, it's super special. So you've obviously travel a lot. You speak at a lot of different churches. You're writing. You're you're in the Christian world all the time. What is it that you're seeing out there in in our churches that most excites you? Is there something that you've got on your heart that you believe God's doing at this time? That two things. I do feel like people are working together more than they ever have. I think we're in a moment post COVID where we realize like, you know what, life is short. Let's make the best of it where we can work together. Um, let's do it. And I think that is a special thing because I think the division of the last few years just wore us out and was like, why are we, why are we fighting over everything? So I see a lot of the church that's saying, and let's go forward and agree on the main things and let's do beautiful work together. So I also think Gen Z is, I, I cannot say enough about them. I could weep right now for an hour about them. God is doing something in them and with them. I was just in um, Auburn recently and we were preaching the gospel. It was crazy. It was like a Tuesday night, a free event. We had no idea how many people were going to show up. 6,000 people came 
from Auburn, which is a secular university. So they come and we preach. And at the end, a girl wanted to be baptized. I go back up. I said, would anybody else want to be baptized? And we walked down the street half a mile and we were bad. Five to 10 of us were in the water for two and a half hours, baptizing over 200 kids and finally had to stop. Like it was almost midnight. So that's the kind of thing that happens around them. I mean, we saw it at Asbury. I, I just consistently see it with them. They're just so hungry and they want God and they want to repent and they want to, they want a different way and they've lived in darkness and they're sick of it already and they want God and it's beautiful. And we're obviously almost like a whole year on from Asbury. I know you were there for quite a lot of the time and I was listening to some of uh, your podcasts and your interviews with with people that were there. So you would obviously say that as far as you're concerned, this thing is still going, like God's still moving. There's something new. Oh, oh it's just starting. No doubt. I think anyone doing college ministry, I don't know if this is true across. Oh, I think it is true. I mean, I've heard the stories out of Brazil. I've heard stories from uh, other countries, but I think it's spreading I think we're about to see more and more of it. Yeah. It, they're, and they're just showing up on the scene. And the oldest Gen Zer, I think, is 25 right now, maybe 26. So they're just getting here. <laughs> we got we got 10 years of this coming. Yeah. And and tell us what it's like a little bit in the States, because I know it's sort of culturally Christianity is a little bit different from here in the UK. Are are the are these kids completely unchurched? Are they kids that have walked away from church? Um, it, I would say it's both. I would say most of them grew up in a pretty dark environment and ne- maybe they, their parents were Christians, but maybe not. And they, they just are, they're hungry for faith. They're hungry for God. I think it's more so that they are, they've grown up in a gr- pretty dark, pretty sinful background. You know, they've been addicted to porn, addicted to substances, you know, the people I'm watching it, they're not coming from youth group to baptism. Like a lot of them are, man, I've been, I've been wayward. Like I've been going down now. Do they know the name of Jesus? Yeah. Most people in the U S do, but, but they are probably the first truly post-Christian generation. Right. I would say millennials largely were deconstructionists. They were deconstructing the church coming out of the church. This generation feels pretty post-Christian. There's not many of them that are coming up in the church there's some but they're definitely in the minority and what do you think the role of the wider church is then at this time please 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 make disciples please i leave auburn with 200 plus and those church leaders praise god they were there they were taking names they took all their phone numbers like they're gonna go plug those kids into churches make sure they are discipled that is what is needed right now we need disciple makers if they're going to be these zealots that love god they need a michelle Bose. they need somebody that says come sit in my living room i'm gonna teach you how to study your bible i'm gonna teach you how to follow jesus they need the maturity they need the depth they need the the growth so yes please please Every single person that hears this, that is, that loves Jesus, please be discipling one to two to three young people, because that's how this, that's how their lives persevere. That's how they follow Jesus and and stay. It's not going to be through these big moments, but those big moments serve a purpose or I wouldn't do them. I, I believe in those big moments there, you know, I mean, I've had several of them now for several years and you cannot believe the stories of people coming up to me two, three years later and saying, when you spoke at Texas A&M that time, when you spoke at passion that time, my life changed. And today I am walking with Jesus and I'm discipling these three people. Like it, it does, it's the beginning of something, but I promise you those stories, there was somebody right behind me that actually helped them grow in the faith. So that's what we've all got to be doing. You've been listening to The Profile in association with Premier Christianity magazine.